Ace is a Project A+, I'm Hunter, you're Hugh. Yes, that is correct. So Hugh, uh, today in the mail I got a certain article of quote. Really? Do tell. Mm -hmm. Well, I think rather than tell, uh, I'm going to show you. Now let's just say that this article of quote has a lot to do with the current project we've embarked on. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, so you're showing not telling on a Kevin Smith episode? Well, uh, we're telling the audience. I'm showing you. Ah, right. So it's best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah best of both worlds. Just like... Uh, sort of combining the Phil Tippett with the Kevin Smith. Anyway, show me, show me. Okay. Going on Discord. Uh-huh. Turning on the camera. You looking? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's not even the whole picture. You ready? You ready for this? You ready for this, baby? Yeah. What does that say? I have to make my screen bigger. I'll I'll probably make be, the screen bigger. It'll probably be backwards because of the the camera. But it's uh, not. what's a? They oh. they must auto auto flip it in Discord. I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good one. I guess I should narrate this for the benefit of the listener. Um, what am I wearing? Uh, so my co-host Hunter. What did I end up spending $35 on? <laughs> has spent $35, has lined the coifers, as it were. Coffers? Coffers. Coifers? Coffers. Has lined the coffers of uh, one of the filmmakers that we'll be discussing on this episode. I think we could say our combined favorite filmmaker besides George. Indeed. Um, and uh, purchased a hat sporting the title of a film we discussed last episode. Hmm. Which film is that? So you have you have a um, the Adam Project hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what we discussed last episode, or was <laughs> that was that the episode before? Yeah, that was that was last that was last episode. Okay. <clears throat> right. Seems like a long time ago. It was, um, it was almost a month ago. I guess so. Uh, yeah, so you have a clerk's hat. Yeah. On the back of the clerk's hat is the famous quote uttered by uh, Dante. In the movie. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Uh, Grant Hicks's brother, I think. That's the one. Um, and, uh, yeah. What does that signal? What? Are we going to be watching some more Kevin Smith films for this episode and discussing Yes, them? you. Well, like I was telling you before we uh, went on mic, uh, this, me getting this hat today is, is, is proof that God is invested in Project A+. How so? Because you, uh, just like how Dante wasn't supposed to be at the uh, quick stop on that <laughs> fateful day, well, I wasn't supposed to get this hat today. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was going to get it sometime next week. <laughs> But no, God intervened and said, you know, I got to make sure that Hunter gets his corks hat for for this, uh, you know, second Kevin Smith outing. Wow. Yeah. Before we get to the movie today, Hugh, I believe you had some uh, work stories you wanted to tell. I actually have a work story of my own that just happened to me. Wow. Do you want to kick us off? Because that sounds fresher than yeah. my stories. Yeah. This isn't a very long story, but uh, it was kind of amusing to me. Which is, uh, <laughs> I got uh, flirted with uh, by a customer at the store today. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That can't be right. 
Yeah, I know. I know. It's weird. I was getting worried my quirk's at. Well, well, explain exactly what happened, and I'll interpret it for you. <laughs> well, um, there was this uh, voluptuous redheaded woman. <laughs> voluptuous? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, she was buying a couple of video games. I noticed that she was buying uh, Jagged Warrior for the NES, an original cartridge. Wow. You work like, in a store that sells original cartridge NES Dragon Quest yeah. games? What? Yeah, dra- Dragon Warrior. Yeah, yeah. That's that's We sell all sorts of junk. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, she's buying uh, Dragon Warrior for the NES. Mm-hmm. I guess for the Nintendo, because it would have been Dragon Quest. Damn so. hey, it, what, what am I saying? Who cares? Just, just say gibberish. Um, yeah, so if it's for the NES, it's Dragon Warrior. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's a great game. And she's like, oh, thank you. And then, um, you know, after I completed the check section, I was like, oh, have a nice time. And she's like, yeah, you too. And, uh, you, you know, you look really good in that shirt. It looks really good on you. <laughs> uh, so and that was the extent of my interaction. And I uh, felt really awkward and said, thank you. So, hmm. and what do you think? Wow. How would you How would you interpret that? <laughs> How would I have handled it, rather? <laughs> I would have scored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be, you'd be fucking her right I now. I would have converted, as it were. Converted? Yeah, I, I guess that, that does sound kind of flirty. Like, you wouldn't yeah. really say that. No. For no reason. That, like, say, say, saying that my shirt was nice, that's one thing. Fair enough. But saying that it, like, looks good on me was, like, a, di- a different... It was a different ballgame. Am I right? What was the shirt? I don't know, it's just some shirt that I have. It's the shirt that I'm wearing right what now. You don't know, it's just some shirt you have. Mean, this is mean, an important right, detail. Let's, let's look at the video, and you can, you can interpret it for the listener. All right, all right. Video's on. Oh, so that's the shirt you were wearing in the yeah, bookshop. Yeah, this is, this is the shirt that I was wearing. Nothing special, you know. Because it happened today. Yeah, it happened It happened like, like an hour ago. Maybe right. like an hour and a half. I see nothing special. It's just a shirt. It's got some like flowers on it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 an alright shirt. It's an it's, okay it does, shirt. It does, but it's not. It's it not. It doesn't warrant. Uh, doesn't warrant a comedy file. Okay. No, but I, again, um, I mean, it does. It does on paper sound flirtatious, mm. but there are people who might make comments like that as a general rule, mm. going about town without any particular meaning behind it. Well, it, it kind of nice. felt you don't kind of felt uh, flirtatious. Again, it wasn't so much like you know. Again, you you have a nice shirt. That's like one thing, right? Like you're mm. wearing a nice shirt. Just the just the fact that she's like, oh, it looks really good on yeah, you. Yeah. That was like the that was the part that seemed to. to no, I, I agree. Absent absent any further details, I think we can conclude that in all probability it was mm. flirtatious to some degree. Uh, I'm 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 not the best judge of this because I can never tell when someone is flirting with me. <laughs> so. Neither can I. Neither can I. Because my my presumption is it, they can't be flirting with me. So, <laughs> be, being a soon to be married man, uh, I'm flattered. If you're listening out there, I'm flattered, but I'm gonna have to turn you down. You don't have a hall pass <laughs> for voluptuous uh, redheads. Hmm. No, no hall pass. The whole pass should be like you can't go out and like. Yeah, but if someone fair, if someone comes up comes on. Yeah, to me. someone comes on to you. But the problem yeah. is, I can't. I came on there. I was I was commenting her Dragon Warrior game. You know, that's that's on me. But 
No, no, but this was like this was like a professional situation in which yeah. you were employed by the bookstore to be yeah. courteous and friendly to customers. So. Yeah, and, and 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 it sprung not from my uh, uh, attraction to this woman, which which may or may not have existed, but rather but my attraction appreciation. to Yuji Hara. What? Yeah, my my attraction to the the god of, of Dragon Quest Yuji Hara. <laughs> Who's Hari? Sorry, I don't remember. Jesus Christ, man! Yeah, at this point, I think you've even played more of those games than I have. Maybe not. Um, no, I've played one game. Okay, at the start uh, of another. Uh, yeah, it was, it was my attraction to into uh, Kira Toriyama. That's that's why. I, but that's um, and anyway, anyway, you were like, "Oh, that's a great game." But is it a great game? Like, it's an okay game. <laughs> <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously aged, but it's still, I don't know. I think it's it an important there, right? game, um, and it's charming. I, w- I will give it that. But, uh... Hey, I'll stand by what I said. So maybe, maybe I was 40 subconsciously, you know. Hmm. Anyway, let's, let's hear your work stories. Before that, I'm going to get some chips real quick, just so I can, uh, you know, be... be just that so you can ruin something. the audio on your side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, what's the, what, why does it matter what type, what kind of mic I use? Can you at least like transfer the chips into a bowl so you're not like? Ah, uh, sure, I can do that. Or alternatively, at least I'm, I'm realize when I'm you're up. speaking and up. don't do anything until I'm speaking. I'm ready for your stories. Actually, just as an adjunct to that anecdote you just told, um, I realize I, I can't actually speak for Dragon Warrior because I've only played Dragon Quest in a fan translation. And kind of notoriously, the, the difficulty level or at least the amount of grinding you have to do is significantly ramped up compared to the uh, westernized, westernized version. So maybe Dragon Warrior is a greater game, perhaps. Although I've heard people argue that it makes it too easy or something, or I don't know, just because the game is so like sort of elemental and and straightforward, um, it makes everything too easy that way. But I don't know. Did that, did that, did that, did that warrant a comment? <laughs> yeah, it did. We're just we're just filling space here. Until we get to the yeah, next our, our average listener is probably just going to the toilet and just wants some voices <laughs> to accompany. No, no. Like, like, <laughs> average listener like the way I listen to podcasts. half half cock, you know. Um. Anyway, so my turn for work stories, is it? Yep. Um. Let's see. Let us see. If you remember, um, on on one occasion. Uh, I um, executed a mouse inadvertently. I do. The uh, flow wrap machine is mechanism. That, is that the best moment on Project A Plus, period? No. Hmm. So you remember the mouse story, the, the dead mouse caught in the mechanism. 
that rendered that machine temporarily unusable, certainly from a food safety standpoint. Well, a similar incident happened, not as grisly, not as mad God appropriate, but uh, what happened was this. So we get a delivery of baguettes every day for production. Mm. Uh, usually comes around three or four in the morning. A truck pulls up at the back entrance and uh, they un unload a box. Uh, they unload a series of um, cardboard crates filled with baguettes. And uh, if, if we're predicting a particularly busy day of production, you know, this could be quite a high stack or a couple of stacks of baguettes um, that, we, that we load onto a trolley and wheel back into the production area to prepare. Um, the trolley does not really comfortably fit two full stacks of baguettes. So one of the, one of the stacks will kind of overhang the front of the trolley. And that is indeed what happened on this particular day. Um, so mm. the person who received the delivery wheeled it out and took mm. it to the production area. Both stacks managed to stay uh, erect, but um, of its own accord and partly due to the flimsiness of the cardboard crates, mm. without provocation, the overhanging crate at the front toppled to the ground and... Essentially, every single crate was now on its side and they're kind of all kind of still stacked together, except for the front one. But if you moved one to the side, all the baguettes in between would slide down onto the floor. So a bunch of us was trying, were trying to rescue the baguettes that had fallen. Um, but every time we, we, we like moved the, the boxes at all, they would all shift. And pretty much every single baguette in that particular tower hit the ground, right? Mm. Now, we wear protective gear. Um, so we wear a hairnet, we wear a lab coat, and we wear shoe covers as well, right? Mm. But that doesn't mean the, sh the, the floors are spotless. They are cleaned every single day and thoroughly at the end of a shift, but we were partway through production. This was three in the morning. We'd already been working for a few hours. So there's food stuff on the ground, that does get intermittently cleaned, but just like with a broom, which is not, you know, hygienic. Mm. And to top it off, the, sh the current shoe covers that we're forced to uh, use um, mm. break, you know, constantly throughout the shifts. So like right. my, my bare shoe bottoms have been touching the ground. Mm. And my perspective was as soon as these baguettes hit the ground, I'm like, well, okay, well, that's it. So we have to suffer the loss, right? They've hit the ground. That's like the, the basic food safety kind of regulation. We're covered under a program called HACCP. I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know if you've worked in hospitality. I think it is an international um, standard. Uh -huh. And I don't know what it stands for. It's H-A-C-C-P. But it's like a food safety-like certification. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of paperwork involved. It's kind of tedious to actually adhere to it, but... You know, that's always been part of our business. And when I started, I had to, like, pass these online tests about food safety and the like. And, um, you know, if, if you ever dropped anything, it was just unusable. You wouldn't pick it up and use it again. You right. know, that's fairly basic stuff, right? That's, yeah. that's something you don't even need to be told. Yeah. With that in mind and me thinking about the customers, I was like, okay, well, we can't use these baguettes. So I set them aside 
we used the other baguettes that hadn't fallen on the ground and um you know we we managed to have enough for the production because we we were at the time we were ordering for two days production at once so we were using yesterday's baguette for the next day's production so I, I had set it aside. Um, I told the head chef what had happened. I had to send a daily report as well. Mm. Uh, so I was at the time I was doing the daily report that says uh, if there were any issues during the production, which products were missing that we couldn't fulfill the orders for to the store because we didn't have enough ingredients or whatever. So I send this daily report and I, I put a detailed report about what happened. I was like, you know, these, these flimsy crates provided by the bakery toppled of its own accord they fell on the ground we had enough for today's production but we don't have enough we don't have any baguettes left for tomorrow and i've called the bakery that provides the baguettes they can't turn around baguettes with 24 hours notice they need 48 mm. hours notice they couldn't do anything for us mm. so i was i just gave them the heads up i'm like well they fell on the ground we can't use them so tomorrow don't order any baguettes like we, we can't supply any baguettes for you these are our stores that I'm sending it to, by the way, as long as well as the the head people above mm. um, our particular station. So the the person above the head chef is responsible for the business is included in the email as well as each of the shops that that we own mm -hmm. that we supply. Um, so I, I put all that in the email. I told the head chef about it. I said, "Here are the baguettes. They fell on the ground. You can kind of see the cut how the how the cardboard collapsed or whatever." Mm. I've called the bakery, you know, we can't get any baguettes for tomorrow, but I guess that I don't know what we're going to do, whatever. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll speak to the guy above him who's responsible mm. for the business and, you know, we'll see what we can do. Mm. And I was like, well, obviously we can't use him. He's like, well, I'll, I'll speak to him <laughs> and then we'll see. What <laughs> nice. I think that just automatically means you can't, you can't use them. <laughs> So so uh, so I was like, oh god, they're a hundred percent gonna use them, hundred mm. percent. Uh, and I realized I should have chucked them straight in the bin, so then they didn't even have the option of using them. But I was, I was like, all right, I'll leave it to them. Um, so then I came in the next night, right? And um, I was looking around for a note. I didn't see anything. I was like, I wonder what happened. Like, what what are we gonna do for tonight's production? So I went into the, the cool room and there was the stack of baguettes with a post-it note on them saying, these have been checked and they're fine. <laughs> I was like, ah, great. So uh, what, you've performed some sort of forensic analysis? Because I should also mention that we attended a training session, again, from one of these HACCP, H-A-C-C-P certification people, where they talked about the fact that, you know, the stuff that you can see on food that's gone bad mm. is not the most dangerous stuff per se. Yeah. You can see mold, yeah. but you can't see like harmful bacteria. You can't bacteria. see bacteria, like, yeah. You can't see, yeah, you can't see like salmonella and stuff on you can't something. See, you can't see calm. Um, mold can be harmful, but compared to something like yeah. salmonella. Yeah, compared to something like salmonella or um, E. coli or, or semen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can't you can't do a visual check of something. Yeah, you can't do a um, visual check of coming, right? So so I was like, oh yeah, great. So <laughs> so we end up um, sending out these baguettes, which I wasn't happy about, because I I was like, the shops are gonna realize if they suddenly get baguettes today that they're the ones that fell on the ground if they read my previous email because right. I said there's no way we can get new baguettes. Yeah. 
but but to make sure that there was no sort of doubt um mm. i added like a joke into the email <laughs> mm. which said that the baguettes had been supplied in accordance with the hasip five second rule mm. so i sent that you know then it's business as usual after that i don't hear anything i sent a couple more of these reports and then i'm told by the head chef that uh he sends me he sends me like a, a text mm. midway through production because he ha- he doesn't start until like 7 a.m but he's like don't uh-huh. send the report today <laughs> all right then he tells me that they they no one's actually no one's actually told me off for this so i'm just reading between the lines they said they want the head chef to send the report so that he can provide the perspective of the the kitchen so I can still like gather the data about like what, you know, items we weren't able to supply or whatever. But then he has to like send the final report with any commentary that he wants to add. And they also wanted less commentary than the commentary I was previously providing. And I've been doing this for like a, over like a year and a half at this point. I've been sending this report the same every day. No one said a word about, you know, what's in the report or not. Yeah. So I'm just assuming that's that they don't want me <laughs> to send those those type of comments to the stores and stuff. So there you go. That's my story. Nice. So once again, I mean, I won't name them on the podcast because I could get in trouble, but... Uh, I don't eat these sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Unless you want rat blood... Um, and uh, dirt on your sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we get to the uh, movies this week? Yeah. <laughs> After what? 40 minutes of Never. <laughs> what are we doing on this episode? We're going to talk about the film Mad God. Recent uh, Phil Tippett release. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pair that with our next of our Voyage of the Damned movies. We've got uh, the next two Kevin Smith films. So we got Chasing Amy and we got Dogma. Mm. Dogma. Ooh, baby. Dogma, 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 Dogma. So where are we starting? With the feature? The main feature? Yep, that's typically where we go. Typically. Zaki, what the hell is uh, Mad God? What the hell is Mad God? Hmm? Um, it's a mostly stop motion animation feature. Hmm? By famed stop-motion special effects slash CGI wizard, Phil Tippett. Mm. Who will be most famous to our listeners for the stop-motion effects that he supplied uh, for the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm. Such as the Rancor and the uh, the little hologram chess fighter guys mm. on the Millennium chess, Falcon. Chess guys. I, I would have at some point in my life known the exact uh, name of those things and the game that they play. Rue, is that right? <laughs> I 
Aunt Beru, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Aunt Beru. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, I, I guess he was famous for being the original special effects guy behind Jurassic Park before he was replaced. Although a lot of his work still went into, you know, the the success of the, that mm. CGI in Jurassic Park. Because mm. they, they kind of used a lot of the work he did on the stop motion as, mm. as a framework for the CGI. Mm. Um, what, what else did he do? He worked on Starship Troopers. Why am I going through the credits of Phil Tippett? Everyone knows who oh, he is. Oh, we're trying to establish. I don't, I don't think that many people know who he is. I mean, the one person who's going to listen to this podcast knows who he is. <laughs> More than one people listen to this podcast. What were we like, number, number seven? Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess we, we, we do chart surprisingly respectably, given that um, no one actually listens to us. Yes. And so, so um, we don't even a... release episodes. I haven't even edited any of the previous, like, three episodes. <laughs> you better get started with that. I know. It's hard to find Robocop. the time. No, it's not. Robocop. You used to do it all the time. Robocop, yeah. Robocop 1 and 2. You did uh, um, visual effects on the Twilight Saga movies. Did he really? Yeah. Wow. All right, anyway, so that's Phil Tippett. Mad God is a project that originates um, some years back. Mm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not referring to anything now, so you can correct me if you have the details there, but it was, a, it was like maybe shortly before he actually began on um, Jurassic Park that he started it. Mm. Um, it didn't nope. necessarily... It's, so he started working uh, on it during RoboCop 2. There you go. So he didn't necessarily have any plans for it to, to be uh, a feature as, as grand as what eventually manifested. Mm. Apparently he abandoned the, the project uh, during the production of Jurassic Park because he could see the writing on the wall mm. um, in regards to stop-motion animation and that CGI was going to be the future... So we kind of shelved the project. And he, he had a studio and, uh, you know, was just working in the industry and actually, actually working in CGI in a lot of cases. And some members of his studio noticed that he was, like, packing up in boxes these little models that he had created for this film and they encouraged him to actually um, Do it. finish the project. Um, they did a Kickstarter campaign... This is like ten, this is still ten years back now, so this 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 would have been you know two thousand ten or something. And um, they got funding to do it. Uh, his team volunteered their time, yeah, helping him uh, complete the project. And you know, eventually in twenty twenty two, it finally gets released on Shutter. And now we've watched it. And now we've watched it. So in terms of what the film actually is, yeah. Um, it's a it's a kind of <laughs> showcase film for stop motion animation uh, mm. first and foremost. Um, it does it does have something of a narrative, but it's not like a narrative forward film. No, it's um, much more of a mood piece. Yeah, or or even even somewhat like an art installation piece. Mm. Yeah, because it does kind of feel like it's stitched together from shorter vignettes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we're initially following this, this, uh, little character who's wearing like a gas mask, you know, circa World War II. 
through this like junkyard hellscape. Mm. And um, he's making his way through. He's got a little map. He's got some sort of mission to complete. And there's various monsters and stuff going on and shit happens, you know. Yeah. And then it sort of turns into 2001 at the end. Mm. Is that a good enough summation of the plot? Yeah. All right. What did you make of it? Mm. I definitely enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to. So. <laughs> I'll say uh, I thought I thought some of it was kind of tedious, but still good. Tedious, you say? I think the first like opening, uh, let's say, movement, where the little guys try to deliver that bomb to the bottom of the depths. That's that felt like the most enjoyable section to me. Yep. Um, and then after that, the bit with like the doctor, I was like, okay, this is just gross. Like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> Um, and then it kind of perked up again with the second guy who's going down to deliver the second bomb. It feels, as, uh, you know, I don't know. It wasn't as visually compelling as the first uh, section. Uh, and then I really enjoyed the last bit with like the dude in the lab again. Uh, so <laughs> I'd say overall, you know, pretty, pretty enjoyable. Obviously the, the, even if, um, I felt a little, I don't know, disconnected or, or bored during certain sections. It's impossible not to admire the just sheer craft that's on display, you know? Mm. Um, maybe maybe you won't, but <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I, I thought it was, uh, yeah, fairly enjoyable. Um, I really especially like the bit where with, like, the, the factory that's full of these, like, weird straw workers who seem to be doing... Mm-hmm. Nothing. It reminded me a lot of the like uh, sequence in Metropolis that depicts like the factory in operation. Yeah, it, it definitely definitely had Metropolis vibes, and also um, Fantasia as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I just enjoyed how bleak and, and violent it depicted industrial work as. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, I I, I kind of I, I was a little disappointed with the when Alex Cox came on screen and the other like act, like you know live action actors I was hoping it would all be stop motion I thought they were yeah. integrated kind of oddly I mean not that I I kind of enjoyed how like hokey it was to some degree but I would have preferred it if it was all like stop motion um, yeah and it's kind of odd that they they use people like the doctors who are operating on the 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 first dude are, are, are live action people, but they're filmed in a stop motion way. Yeah. Right? So, it, so they're just kinda, getting the actors to move like one frame. It's at kind time. of, it's very, uh, herky, I don't know. It, it's kind of unsettling, which is fine. Like, I think that kind of works well yeah. enough. Um, but then when Alex Cox appears, obviously he couldn't be bothered with any of that shit. He's like, just film yeah. me wandering about with my large yeah. nails. I just, I just found it distracting. I was like, what's Alex yeah, Cox too. doing in this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So them's your thoughts on the film? Yeah, yeah, I'd say, you know, like, solid 3.5. I don't know. Mm. I wish it had been a little more, yeah. just felt like, I I obviously was going for a a mood, but I I think I would have preferred watching it as just, like, three individual segments as opposed to one. It didn't feel very cohesive, you know? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, what do you think? I mean, I won't disagree with you that it's impressive. Mm. Um, even if, if it's not quite as impressive as, as the trailer promised. No. But there are um, certain sequences that are, I think, genuinely awe-inspiring. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think that merely being able to, like, recognize that something would be painstaking and laborious to achieve yeah. is not really enough. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I, I've watched an interview with, with Tippett about this, um, and he talked about the fact that he, he doesn't come from a filmmaking background, but he comes from an art background. Mm. and that there are other ways to tell stories than the traditional Hollywood ways. You know, he was talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that dumb bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And what this does feel like to me is a visual artist let loose on their their passion project. And a particular type of visual artist, like someone who has worked in the field of, like, sci-fi and fantasy particularly. Mm. Um, Actually reminded me, like, of a comic book artist given the chance to, like, work on their own, on their own project. And you kind of get something that just feels like an assembling together of all their favorite aesthetics and kind of iteratively adding cool shit to it. Mm. I don't think this is quite that shallow, perhaps. A lot of it reminded me, it felt like a music video almost, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where a a lot of it just unfolds for its own sake, which, which could be fine and I, and I agree with you like the opening segment is like oh yeah i'm down for 90 minutes of this that's fine yeah if it was all like this level and maybe that's the bit he filmed in 35 millimeter back in like 1989 or whatever <laughs> yeah i have no idea um, but everything since then is not is not quite as impressive like it doesn't quite no. live up to that and you would hope because i was thinking like if i was like making this film and mm. it's not particularly linear in 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 form or it doesn't have to be linear like a normal narrative you want to save the good stuff for the end right <laughs> I, so I, 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 I did enjoy i did enjoy the bit with the like bad scientist or whatever. I, thought, I thought there was a lot of impressive effects there too but i was assuming like oh it's going to build up something really yeah. great at the end <laughs> but like it was more disjointed and um not quite as fulfilling as as i wanted it to be yeah yeah i kind of i pretty much agree with you uh, everything you said about it. So it was like, yeah, and this is kind of tedious. And I was kind of just zoning out to yeah. a lot of it and going, all right. <laughs> I, I didn't particularly like the score. I thought that yeah, didn't really fit. It wasn't as weird as the visuals. So it felt like a kind of conventional airbrush yeah. over the top of the whole production. Yeah, I agree. So we won't be yet. Uh, Tip it in our hat to fill tippet. That was 30 years down the drain, Phil. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see you, see you next time. We'll see you next, in, in 30 uh, you know, more years. See if you got anything better. <laughs> maybe take maybe take like a, a couple more decades next time just to <laughs> yeah, refine yeah. it a little bit. Why was Alex Cox in it? <laughs> I have no idea. I was wondering initially, I was like, is Phil Tippett like a British dude? Because like, you know, maybe he worked with Jim Henson and stuff. But <laughs> I also, I also thought Jim that. Jim Henson British workshop because of where Star Wars was filmed, but no, not the case. Nope. 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 All right. Well, uh, now we're done with that shit. Should we move on to a real master of the form? A real visual stylist. Yeah, yeah. 
Let's do it. Project time. Project time. It's project when do we do time. Burn Hollywood Burn? I guess it should be now, right? Okay. Burn. Hollywood Burn. That's right, Mama. Hollywood Burn. Welcome to Burn Hollywood Burn, your um, weekly dose of Hollywood news. Number one source for Hollywood news and box office performance uh, reportage. Yeah. Um, let's start with the box office. Box office hooray. Box office hooray. Box office hooray. Yeah, so for the weekend of uh, June the 24th, um, the United States of America, where, where, where's, your, where's your words? We'll do this simultaneously, bro. All right, for the weekend of yeah. um, June, 24th. June 23rd to 26th in Australia, the top grossing the picture one was... was Elvis, Elvis with 31200 and twenty-one thousand, or sorry, two hundred and eleven thousand five hundred and seventy-nine dollars. Yep, Australia's own Elvis uh, in the home country grossed four point six million. Hmm. Mm. Okay, are you ready for my uh, piece of news? Yep. Should we read it at the same time? I think it's the same piece of news. No. 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 It might be. I do think it is the same piece of news. Why do you think that? (laughs) (laughs) Is it how excited I was about it? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Why don't we just say the first word? If it's the same first word, then we know it's the same piece of news. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Clint. Louis. No. Okay. (laughs) Different. Different. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The two genders. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Democrat or Republican? Right, you go first. Louis C.K. premieres Fourth of July, first film since sexual <laughs> misconduct allegations. We're back, wow. baby. In quotes. <laughs> this is from Variety. Mm. Directed, written, and edited by C.K., the indie drama stars co-writer Joe List, who quipped about C.K.'s fall from grace after the moderator praised C.K. for being able to disappear into his role. Well, Louis had disappeared before, Liz said, referring to allegations of sexual misconduct um, brought against CK in 2017. To which CK responded, we're back, baby, prompting the Mm. crowd to burst into applause and laughter. Is that because he liked to come on their backs? That's a pretty pretty tasteful joke, right? Yeah, good joke. Very funny. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You should have co-written 4th of July. I should have. (laughs) I should have been. I should have, instead of this fucking Joe Liz. It should have been about me and my life. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for my news news story? Yep. <laughs> Clint Eastwood awarded two million dollars in fake CBD endorsement lawsuit. <laughs> the ninety-two-year-old actor claims that a company illegally used his likeness to imply he was endorsing their product. Oh. Wow. I gotta see if I can get some of the CBD uh, Clint Eastwood stuff before they have to take it. Uh... (laughs) 
Anyway, on to the project. Project time, it's project time. 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 Life is getting crazy. Come and take my hand. We can watch some on a voyage of the dead. Yeah. So what do we got on that project docket this week? We already mentioned it. Do we need to pitch it again? Fucking chasing Amy and talking about Yes. Um, and we're going to begin in chronological order with chasing Amy. My name is Holden. I'm a back and listen to that episode just to just to check who gave the plot summary the first time around it was me so it It feels unfair for you to do it this time okay so what's his name holden caulfield is that right yeah Yeah, that's right holden mcneil see i knew it wait he actually has a surname (laughs) yeah mcneil (laughs) bro how can you how how have you not spent like an hour reading the wikipedia page for the viewers universe characters (laughs) like i have Anyway, <laughs> Holden McNeil is a single comic book artist who lives with his, uh, to borrow a term from another Kevin Smith movie, his hetero wife mate. <laughs> uh, his name is Binky Edwards. Uh, uh, virulently homophobic uh, co-creator of his comic book series Blunt Man and Chronic, which is based off of you know Jay and Silent Bob. Like, you know, recurring characters, the C-3PO and R2-D2 of Kevin Smith's mm-hmm. universe of films. Um, and, yeah. um, let me see, where do I want to go? Okay, yeah, like I said, he's a cock He's played by Ben Affleck. Bakey is played by, fucking Bakey. He's <laughs> <laughs> played by, um, uh, Jason Lee. Uh, and they're at Comic-Con uh, together, and they basically play an interloper for a uh, black, uh, gay comic artist, writer, who they're friends with. Uh, as part Wait, of we're going the... scene by scene? No, I'm setting up the plot. <laughs> the job right. interested is in his comic. And um, because of this, they get introduced to, what the fuck's her name? I remember Holden, but I can't. Oh, Alyssa Jones, Amy. of course. Alyssa Jones. <laughs> shut, shut the fuck up. Alyssa Jones. Jones. Alyssa Jones. Uh, yeah. He's, and yeah, the actress's name I've completely forgot. Joey Lauren Adams. Joey Lauren Adams. You like Ben Affleck is in Ball Rats, playing a different character. Mm-hmm. Now, strangely enough, the character that Ben Affleck plays in Ball Rats is referenced by name in this movie. I don't know if you caught that. I sure did. I can't remember. We could go over it later. <laughs> um, and uh, basically, it's uh, Holden wants to to do her. He he uh, you know develops a crush on her. Um, but yeah. uh, turns out that she's a lesbian, um, or at least mostly dates women. Uh, and eventually, they start dating. 
Um, but Holden's inability to uh, overcome his insecurity about her past sexual relationships uh, it's up in either relationship um, and that's pretty much it the title is derived from a story that Silent Bob tells about this crush that he had he went through basically the same thing that minus mm-hmm. the lesbianism I guess yeah um, that's it now, Hugh, uh, as you messaged me when I was messaging you my thoughts about this movie, uh, last time I watched this, so I basically hated it. I think it was my yep. first experience to spit. Uh, yeah, you detested it. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't quite uh, acclimated myself to his worldview and his style. Um, so it may come as, uh, it will come as a shock to you now, but. <laughs> <laughs> may come as a shock to dedicated listeners to this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, watching this, I was not particularly looking forward to it. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to hate it again. But uh, I ended up really enjoying this film. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And it, even I, I, at the end of it, I was like, this is this is, this this works. This film works. It, it's kind of moving. I think it works too, yeah. I was, I was kind of moved by it, I'm not going to lie. Now, I, it has all Smith's regular deficiencies. It's overridden. Yeah. It's, you can't direct a film. <laughs> Yep. It's too long. I also think that Affleck is not is not that great in the main role. I disagree, uh, actually. Really? Really? Wow. Yeah. I think he's okay in some sequences. But I think, I don't know, there's something about his, like, he's just a little too... The, the, com- the comedy stuff is a little flat when it comes out of his mouth in this film. Yeah, like, he's definitely not as adept at, like, delivering the dialogue as... Um... He's good in the scenes where he has to be sad. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult, like delivering Kevin Smith's lines at the yeah. best of time, um, yeah. and he this he doesn't is, have this is the, best the same knack exhibited by like um, Jeff Smith and <laughs> Jeff Smith, <laughs> Jeff Anderson. Jeff Smith, bro, you're fucking slipping. <laughs> I'm gonna say that again. Um, I, no, I no. agree with you no that, that Ben Affleck doesn't have the same knack with Smith's dialogue which is difficult to get out at the best of times because it's overwritten as you said as um you know jeff anderson or uh, indeed banky what's his name <laughs> <laughs> because his name. <laughs> brody bro it's brody 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 jason lee jesus christ i thought you were calling him banky Banky, yeah, that's his name in this movie. Brody is the character that he plays in Mara. Oh fuck! Right, I'm very confused now. All right. <laughs> Maybe I should t- do another take. I agree with you that <laughs> that, that, that plow through. does not have the same knack with the dialogue, which is difficult to deliver to deliver in the best of times. <laughs> take take four. Just like my take fucking four. thoughts are clearly. <laughs> I, th- I don't think you can add. I think you have to leave all of this in. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I guess it's only fair that if I'm sitting here criticizing Kevin Smith's dialogue, <laughs> people should know that I can't even deliver my own dialogue. <laughs> Finish your thought. I think I finished my thought. I think my thought you can didn't. be, like, excavated from the ruins of the previous two minutes. No, because you cannot repeat the same sentence. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you that 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 Ben Affleck is not so good at delivering the the jokey dialogue as Jason Lee, mm. his sparring partner. 
Um, he's he, and he's not the strongest actor of the central three like characters. I don't mm. think. No. In this film, at least. But I think his his like presence fits the the character um, yeah. quite well, and it kind of serves the purpose that it needs to. He works in both the like fratty like asshole scenes and in the sad scenes. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like, like he's really good. I actually genuinely think he's really good in the scene where he's first telling um, Eliza his feelings in the car. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he's like perfectly calibrated. I thought his performance of the scene where he's like uh, shouting at her in the hockey rink park uh, lot was genuinely like disturbing and upsetting too. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I was really surprised how much I liked this film. I was really surprised. I think it's. I think it's really solid. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think maybe because I was I was defending it the last time we discussed this, but your negativity probably dragged it down in my estimation somewhat. <laughs> I felt the gravitational pull from your hatred, and I probably criticized it more than um, it warranted. But uh, I, I was kind of in the same boat as you in that I wasn't looking forward to watching this film again particularly. Um, but yeah, I watched it and I was like, you know, this actually works pretty well. It, it's yeah. kind of similar to Clerks. Like when we discussed Clerks in the last episode, I said that it was maybe his one film that completely works in terms of, in terms of the execution of the film serving the screenplay and what he's trying to yeah. say and what he's going for. Yeah. It was all like a unified whole. I actually think this, this pretty well stands up as a unified whole mm. as a film as well. Yeah. Like the I don't think the content of the story is disserviced by the filmmaking. No, I, I, don't, I, I agree. think it fits quite well. And in fact, I think it's um his I'm not I'm not going to say incompetence because it's not like it's not like completely it's, it's amateurish. Right? It's amateurish. But there's obviously a lack of ambition and craft. Yeah. But I think that makes it better than the alternative. Like if you you it's can not imagine style is a style. Yeah. And you can imagine a version of this assembled by like a competent journeyman or even a more accomplished filmmaker with more ambition that is much worse than what we actually have here, yeah, I think. that's true. It feels like like what he's going for is perfectly suited to his kind of flat, yeah. very basic style. Did you enjoy him using the same uh, dialogue car trick that you... Yes, so yes, I did. Course. The callback to Clerks where <laughs> yeah. it's just like, follow the heads. <laughs> I guess I should explain that uh, the one time I think I think it's the literally the only time in this movie where the camera moves. <laughs> no, no, no. There's actually surprisingly oh, oh. there's a few like handheld sequences, mm. and they they really stand out because of how static the rest of the film is, mm. and in a way that kind of heightens the effect of them because they're like emotionally kind of raw moments. So you could mm. argue that that's that's kind of an effective deployment of that particular mm. style. Um, and, and similarly with Clerks, we talked about how much the sort of cinematography lends the film, yeah. gives it a certain quality. Um, and I think the same is true here. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe it looks worse if it's been cleaned up for like a Blu-ray or 1080p, or, you know, 4K release maybe. or whatever. But the, the crappy DVD copy I have, mm. I, I really like the look of the kind of grainy mid-90s Sure. Color stock. It does. It does ca- capture the ambiance of its time really well. I yeah, think. and and like it's, so, it's the, it's David Klein, right? The same cinematographer yeah. as the previous two films, although not Dogma, um, that we're going to talk really? about shortly. 
Oh, that's why um, Taco Bell looks so different. That's why I said fucking scope. <laughs> yeah. When Dogma started, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Why is this... Is- <laughs> why is this uh, widescreen? I don't understand. <laughs> but like the the scenes in in Chasing Amy are not like flatly lit in the way that uh, we've come to expect from Smith, and in the way that Mallrats was very flatly lit and flat in general. Yeah, it's definitely a little more dynamic. Sometimes, like in this, it seems like they're not even lit properly; like they're underlit. Like there's a, there's a moment where like. Banky disappears into a shadow like at a crucial moment in the scene. It does not feel intentional, but it was like, oh, that's the best take. I guess that's fine. Uh, but I liked it because there was there was like a nice kind of grimy darkness to the scene that felt appropriate. And it makes yeah yeah it makes it makes like especially you have the scenes that are like set in bars and in like clubs. It it really feels appropriate for the milieu. Yeah. Yeah, beyond beyond its aesthetic qualities, I also just enjoy like the depiction of like the world of comics in this film too. Mm. I think it does really nail it. I don't think there's anything that feels, you know, I mean, I'm not really an insider at all, but it feels, it feels like it under, it genuinely understands what it was like to be like an independent comic creator during this time period, you know? Yeah. Which is, which is an exceedingly rare thing in terms of this, this kind when they're trying to like depict um, a different industry or even Hollywood itself in many cases. Yeah. It always comes rings hollow and comes across as phony. And and this really doesn't, and I think a big part of that is, is the way it kind of just underplays it. Mm. I, I think too, when I first watched this film, I was, you know, ill inclined to uh, empathize with the uh, Ben Affleck's character. They still am, you know. But I think the now watching this, I think I think the film it doesn't exactly I don't, I don't think it, it, it is uh, necessarily, you know, taking his side. You know what I mean? No, I don't think it is. I think it's taking his perspective, but not his side. Yeah, because uh, clearly, clear, it's it's and, and I think I think what makes this film uh, feel I mean, it definitely feels like the most personal film that Smith like made by like a, a, a country mile. You know, like clearly, clearly, he's working through his own issues with women. And it really yeah. feels raw and like, like actually like kind of gross and sick in a way that none of his other films feel at all, you know? And I, I, I'm just impressed that he was willing to put that level of repulsive thought and, and that confessional thought on screen. Obviously it's him like working through this. And, and I think part of the reason I think this film is kind of moving is clearly this is like him uh, pro- progressing through those emotions, like moving past them, right? And I, I really like yeah, it a lot. Yeah, he, he talks about this film as, like, the film that exercised that particular part of his character that, you know, he didn't he didn't like. And yeah, and, it's, it's, and it, feels, it feels literally, like, literally the film is, is like, him, like, as Silent Bob talking to his, his, his uh, stand-in for his younger self about, yes. like, why <laughs> this attitude is so stupid and, and evil, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think it's portrayal of, I mean, I know this film has been criticized somewhat by having, like, by having a, um, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> uh, like a Westbian conversion narrative, but I think I think it it, it works. Uh, it, it doesn't feel. I feel like it feels a little more aggressive than that. Like standard read of it is, you know. Yeah, I agree because like by the end of it, we really get an understanding that her character was someone who, in her young days she was really trying to explore and find who she was and like struggling with her own identity. And that led to those sexual experiences that that come up in the film and that Ben Affleck has so much problems with. And then she found like a community that 
that accepted her. Yeah. Even if she wasn't necessarily like strictly a lesbian and she was more likely bisexual, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's how I don't I don't really agree with the, the people. I mean, again, you know, who are we're, we're two like straight guys, like whatever. Yeah, exactly. So we're not biased. So that our, our opinion will be. Objective. Yeah, I, I like some. I like some stupid fucking. But I feel like you know it's a, it it doesn't it doesn't have her stand in for all of like lesbian dumb. It's just a depiction of one woman's like fluid sexuality, you know. Yeah, and I I like I like that. I thought it was I thought it was nice. I thought it was I thought it was decently handled, you know. Yeah, I think the reason why the film holds up and actually ages better than maybe even it seemed the last time I watched it is because it's a sincere expression of what he was personally going through and that and issues he's actually struggled with. Because if it was anything else, like if he tried to like deal with these same issues in a looser kind of fictional way, I don't think it would have aged very well at all because there's obviously some problems with his depiction of sexuality in this film. Yeah. But because ultimately it is, it is, it is not about a, a depiction of, of lesbian life in Boston in the mid-90s. It's real. Boston? About <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Huh? Boston? It's not Boston. <laughs> no, he's from fucking Jersey. <laughs> Sorry. What am I talking about? Of course he's from Jersey. Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> <laughs> fucking what was I Boston. Of was in Boston. Are you mad, David? In, in Ben Affleck? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, good, good movie. <laughs> I think I think a really, really good movie. You know, I rated this as be three and a half stars. Uh, Letterbox. I think I'm gonna bump it up to four over the course of this conversation. Yeah, baby. Uh, anyway, so we reveal our uh, scores. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you forget to do this, you fucking asshole? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So is that a 10? Add a 10 with decimal points. With decimal points. Um, I'm going to give I'm going to give it a straight eight. Give it a straight eight. Oh, we didn't even talk about. I, I think the editing of this movie is fantastic. I will. I basically loved it. <laughs> the fact that they don't get together or anything. You yeah, it, it, it just that it has that like elusive like um, quality. This doesn't really resolve itself, you know? I, I, I liked it. I like it a lot. And I, I agree. And I think the film is strengthened by the fact that his dickish behavior, his, his inability to get over this. Yeah, this it's issue. not it's not rewarded at all. It just it's the end of the relationship. You know? And I think that's warranted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice kind of bittersweet ending. It's like he's moved on like the 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 trajectory, like the happy ending for him is like he's reached some level of maturity where he can apologize. But there's there's no like repairing the relationships or bringing them back to what what maybe no. you would have wanted them to be. You got a comic book out of it, which is the real victory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering whether to to cross the the eight point zero threshold. Um, mm. I'm sort of hovering yeah. between seven point nine and and eight. Mm. Um, mm. I'm going to give it seven point nine. Seven point nine. So I actually rated it higher than you. Yeah. Wow. Well, that means our average rating is a 7.95. Yeah. 
So wow. <laughs> now I can only imagine that that's going to be the highest rated of our. Not to spoil my thoughts <laughs> on dogma. I'm sure. <laughs> I can only imagine it's downhill from now. But already, that is much higher than I assume that any film would get in this uh, in this series. Yeah. So it seems like probably Smith is going to be ranked pretty high on our uh, average, uh, you know, filmography list when all is said and done. Now, you know what? I'll give it an eight. I'll give it an, an eight. eight. Wow. Wow. Okay. We're brothers at eight. Yeah. Let's do we're it. Fi- we're figure coffee the eight. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, should we move right into Dogma? Let's do it. My name is Loki, I'm an angel guy. I fell from heaven and I want to die. All right, bro, you got the floor. Tell us Dogma. Um, oh, God. <laughs> yep. All right, so... God indeed, eh? eh? So Dogma is um, a story of two fallen angels. Um mm. What is it? Loki and Bartleby? Bartleby? Mm-hmm. Bartleby? 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 Um, played by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, respectively. Mm. And um, they're trying to get back to heaven mm-hmm. because they've been uh, outcast. And they think they found a loophole mm. um, via the Catholic Church um, because they're, they're opening this new church in New Jersey. And it's got this arch that um, when you pass under it, your sins are forgiven. Mm. So they believe that if they pass under this arch, their sins will be forgiven. And when they die, they'll go to heaven. Yeah, because this church has started doing, has this like new promotion to drop you back called plenary indulgence. That's, mm. uh, they don't really explain it that well. So that, that's, one, that's one thread. Yes. In another part of the states, <laughs> in Illinois and Chicago, I think. Um, we have uh, Linda Florentino. We need Black Zone. Indeed. And um, she gets attacked by. Uh, no, I guess she gets visited by the angel first, doesn't she? Or whatever Alan Rickman is. Yeah. Yeah, he's the voice of God. He's Metatron. He's the voice of God, yeah. She gets visited by Alan Rickman. He's like, you got to stop these angels from trying to get back into heaven because uh, you can't prove God wrong and it will unmake the entire universe if, uh, mm. if they do it. And you have to, you know, you have to, to save them. She's like, all mm. right. Yeah. And um, she's further convinced because he tells her that, that a couple of prophets will help her. Mm. She's further convinced when she's attacked by some um, hockey thugs mm. and saved by uh, one Jay and Silent Bob, one of who refers to himself as a prophet in passing. And she realizes, ah, these are the guys I have to go with. Yeah. Because uh, it just so happens they're headed back to New Jersey themselves. And that's where she needs to go from Chicago. Yeah, that's true. So she sets off. She meets some other dudes along the way, such as um, the Thirteenth Apostle, played by Chris Rock, um, and the uh, a muse named Serenity. Serendi- Ser- Serendipity? Serendipity. Sorry, not Jesus. Serenity. You were not on your game tonight, bro. <laughs> I'm never on my game. What are you talking about? What are you comparing this to? 
thinking <laughs> of conversations with other people. Um, <laughs> what else? What else? What else? Jason Lee. Jason Lee is um, Azizel. Azizel on side. That, that one. That one I had to look up. That one I had to look up. What is it? What is he? Azizel. Azizel. Okay. Azriel. 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 That's it. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, he's the guy who he's a bad is, guy uh, in control of the hockey thugs, and he's yeah. a bad guy. Hmm. And he wants to assist um, the two angels getting back into heaven. Yeah, so that... I can't, I can't remember why. So the world, the world will end, basically. He wants the world to end, yeah. Yeah, because he's sick of being in hell. Yeah. Um, and that's the film, right? Yeah. I remember seeing like a hundred other strands, but that's basically it. Yeah. Very convoluted, like I, like we said. Now, after your pleasant experience with chasing Amy, mm. did you have a similarly enlightened time with Dogma? Well, you know, I was pretty uh, hyped for this. You know, after enjoying uh, Chasey Davies so much, I was like, okay, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, I know that people like this film. I'm, I, I'm going to to get into it. I'm excited. I'm excited, you know. Uh, but uh, I did not. There, there were some moments in this film. There are scattered moments of enjoyment, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I really enjoyed, uh, I liked Matt David a lot. <laughs> I think him and Ben Affleck have a good natural chemistry. I thought all their scenes were pretty fun and, 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 and amusing. Not necessarily funny, but I thought I thought he was able to give the the Kevin Smith dialogue. I thought I think he's the third person to be able to do it. Honestly, mm. uh, I just like you know what it's it's funny watching. Him. He's just he he to me you know I know you don't have the same affection for him, but I think he's a really natural movie star. And I think he really is just someone who is I find very watchable. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought I thought he brought uh, like a perfect charisma to, to play Loki. I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed the scene in the movie's boardroom, especially. Yeah. Let's see. And I thought I thought Ben Affleck was pretty good up until the ending where he has to have a you know <laughs> evil turn, which is pretty uh, flat. But yeah. I I enjoyed him. Uh, you know, up until that point. And again, like I said, him and David probably due to the fact that they're real-life friends that are pretty good chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the vibe of their scenes, too. It kind of con- continues that grimy feeling of, of J.C. Davey to it. Yeah, I think, I think their half of the movie promised a better movie than the one we actually got. Yeah. Uh, I thought... Uh, so so that, that section, all, all, all pretty good. All pretty enjoyable. Uh, and then all the stuff with Linda, Florentino, I was just like, ah, oh, I don't want to watch this shit. I don't <laughs> I thought she was terrible, especially. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems as if she was either miscast or just half asleep throughout the production. Like, her line deliveries are so sleepy, and yeah. she has a lot of difficulty matching the tone. Um, yeah. I mean, we should blame Kevin Smith both for the underdevelopment of the character yeah. and his direction of her performance. But honestly, it felt to me like Janine Garofalo should be the lead, not not her. Like, she would have fit... <laughs> What yeah, but she's a, she's a yeah yeah she's got the she's got that like wise ass energy that that Smith traffics in. Yeah, 
It's just, so, like, it was just very seconds. <laughs> yeah. The funniest bit about her performance, uh, and again, it's it's Smith's fault ultimately, is that she goes along pr- so readily with this holy crusade. Like she doesn't take much convincing. Nothing really seems to phase her. And then, like because the script demands it, at one point, uh, like midway through the film, she has to break down in tears and cry, "Why God? Why are you making me do this in the middle of a lake?" And it's like, <laughs> you didn't really seem to give a shit up until this point. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and she she's actually pretty good in, like, certain moments. Like, she works fine. Like, there's a pretty decent scene between her and Matt Damon. Yeah, I, I was going to... Oh, you mean uh, Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck, sorry. Yeah, I was going to... That, that that's her best scene. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, both, they're both really good at that. <laughs> Damon's really good. Affleck? Sorry, Damon. <laughs> Fucking Affleck. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yes, she's good at that scene with Affleck on the train. <laughs> Yeah, um, I gotta say too. I, I thought Jason Wee was really miscast as like the devil guy. I don't. I don't think that fit his. Uh, yeah, I was a bit disappointed by him as well. I was like, oh, this should be like a slam dunk kind of performance, yeah. but it was. It was I pretty. Think, I think he. I think he works better as the you know the the archetype that he perfected in Mallrats and in Chasing Amy, which is like the you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, asshole best friend uh, mm-hmm. type. Um. But yeah, I thought he I thought he was flat. Um, kind of enjoyed George. I, I like see George Carlin as the Cardinal. Yep. Um, but yeah, this movie felt like it was a hundred hours long. <laughs> it was like you could easily have cut like thirty minutes out, and I would have been like, okay, this is still too long. <laughs> it is a slog. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'd say mix. I mean, it was funny seeing the scope. That was just strange, like. <laughs> It also had several other like visual forces where like this just feels wrong. <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought uh, D- Damon and Affleck I thought made it almost worth watching. Yeah. And he's just like, come on, man! Like, who cares? And I, I just don't think Smith is well suited. I mean, maybe he's not well suited for anything, but he's just not well suited for this sort of like epic fantasy story you know no he's not like all his strengths as a writer and a director are very like um you know down to earth like slice of life dramas i don't know Mm. what what inspired him to to take this on you know so this was originally or at least they were thinking about this being the film after clerks Mm. um like it was it was something he'd been working on for a long time and him and scott Mosier of uh the grinch 2 fame um, and, th- and this movie fame decided that you know he, it would be better if he had more experience under his belt before he tackled something so ambitious. But yeah, so they sort of set it aside until you know Smith built up his chops as a storyteller. What I am actually I'm legitimately befuddled by his decision to make Jay and Silent Bob like the main characters of this and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and other films like. When they work, it's it's as like comedic relief, like you know, or or I mean, obviously, you know, their one scene to chase the navy is great too, you know, but there's no there's no reason to have them be the main fucking characters. No, especially it's funny that you know the the relatively uh, nuanced portrayal of sexuality in Chasey Davy is like completely replaced here by just you know some great gay jokes, like yeah. 
it's really strange. I mean, maybe this is, you know, written before he, he had his, uh, you know, awakening. So, like, I, I think there's, like, some, like, promising ideas in the mix. It, it definitely owes a huge debt to Good Omens and, and pretty much all of Neil Gaiman's, like, solo career, basically. Mm. Despite how much visual promise there is in this type of story the result is is basically a radio play <laughs> yeah like, we, we expect smith to be dialogue heavy or dialogue centric mm. and if it was merely dialogue i wouldn't have so much of an issue but it's all um, exposition it's all exposition yeah it's like it's like 90 percent exposition like the early scenes with affleck and damon where they're a bit of exposition is worked in there, but there's a lot of, like, just back-and-forth banter. Mm. Like, if it's like that, that's fine. You know, that works. But, like, especially, like, saddling Chris Rock throughout the rest of the film with having to, like, explain everything that's happening a million times. And then, like, um, Selma Hayek appears and all she does is have to explain how the bloody law works. There's just all these law dumps over yeah. and over Oh, again. my God. Who, and who cares? It's really all fucking felt, so stupid. It felt like I was sitting in the audience at a convention where, like, yeah. a bunch of actors or comedians are performing, like, an unmade screenplay or something. Right? Mm. Honestly, Baz Luhrmann should have made this film. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, it does, it does, like, it does try and, like, ape some of the aesthetic of uh, Romeo and Juliet with, like, the silver guns and the you know, mm. the breastplates and angel wings and stuff like that. Um, mm. But with someone who has, like, no ability to tell a story visually, basically. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's a, it's a step in the wrong direction, which it's easy to just keep on following down the path. If, uh, my impression of his other films are, are, is correct, are correct. But I would have forgiven it more if they just if it just wasn't ninety percent exposition. If it was just like yeah. his shitty dialogue and kind of hangout scenes with the two strands of the plot. And and it was if it was thirty minutes shorter, it, Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon they should have been the main fucking characters. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, definitely a mixed bag. Not not yeah. uh not a good open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it was like it was like Clerks. It's like okay. You know, this is okay. Yeah. And then it's more... And Marats, I, I think it's pretty I think it's pretty fun, you know? Pretty enjoyable, but, like, it's clear that it's like, okay, he's clearly got some limitations as a filmmaker. This looks yeah. like shit. This looks like television. <laughs> it's and then Chasing it's like, Amy. Huge okay, step okay, up. All right, huge step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, God. This is so much worse. That was the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And now he's not even going to come close to it again for the rest no, of the time. He doesn't even career. like climb the ladder to get to the ceiling anymore. <laughs> he's like, hey, hey, let's not say that before uh, Corks 3 comes out. All right, all right, fine. Because uh, that that does promise to be his most autobiographical film. Uh, it's, I guess, it's Chase I Hope I'm Reboot, which is fucking cancer. So. God. I can't I can't wait to rewatch that piece of shit. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, do we have anything else to say about Dogma? Nope. Should we uh, unveil what our rate ranking ratings are? Our ratings. Hmm. I'm giving Dogma a five point three. What did I give Clerks? Gay Perks is seven point two. Um, I'd give yeah, I'd give it a, f- a five point zero. Five point zero. All right. 
If he's our average rating is 5.15. Should we check and see what the average of his filmography is so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm just going to do a little bit of number crunching real quick. So it's 6.58. That's the average rating we got so far. Now, will that continue to stay at that relatively high rating, or will that start to go down? I guess uh, join us next week when we check out uh, the next two Smith features. And what film uh, have you decided what film we're going to watch uh, in addition to that, my friends? Oh, is it my turn? Yeah, because I, ch- I chose Madion, so. Oh, yeah. What about in light of the allegations that we, uh, we watch some Naomi Kawasa? <laughs> we can watch whatever films. I don't care. They're very long, aren't they? Like two hours? What the fuck, <laughs> bitch? Jesus Christ, you're pathetic. <laughs> nah, no, it seems boring. Fuck that shit. Fuck it. Let's just watch the Parallax View, that's fine. Okay, Parallax View it is. I wanted to watch that. We're, we're, we've settled on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Great. Snoochie boochies. Snoochie boochies. Great. All right, well, uh, goodbye. Get out.